Coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Welcome. I'm your host, Susan Morris. My panel today includes Stanford students, Laura and Lauren, and a new mom to the show, Susan Phillips Moskowitz. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you on the show. Our topic today, credit card traps, the industry's egregious practices, all perfectly legal, that cost consumers millions of dollars every year. It's understandable why credit card users are victims. The industry has stacked the deck against them. A government report determined that credit card disclosures were written at a level too difficult for the average consumer to understand. To talk to us about this problem is our guest, Mary Morrison. Hello. In addition to being a favorite panel member on our show, Mary is a financial aid officer at Stanford. She's been teaching a course on financial literacy for eight years, and the class has been taken by more than 1,600 Stanford students. Mary, I want to ask you to list some of the most egregious traps that credit card companies lay for consumers. Well, I think the ones that are egregious to you or me are the ones that we fall into. <laughs> and so it's, it's sort of in the eye of the beholder. But one thing they do that lots of people don't understand, you'll get the credit card offer and it will have huge headlines. Uh, you'll get 3% for six months and so on. And so you apply for it thinking you'll handle it well. But if you read the fine print, it says if you're not eligible for that offer, we're going to send you another one card at a different rate for a different deal. Oh, and my a different gosh. Deal. You mean they, they decide on their own? <laughs> yes, that's right. And so when you get the credit card, you say yippee, and you throw away the paper, which will tell you that you didn't get the offer you applied for. So then you go on your vacation, and you find out you thought you had a $2,000 credit limit, that you only have a $1,000 credit limit. You thought you had a 3% for six months, and it's actually starting right out at 12% or something like that. It's like a switch and bait. Absolutely. But that's illegal. No, it isn't, because they've told you in oh. paper. Okay. <laughs> so what's, what's Congress doing about this? Uh, talking about it. Uh, I, I'm not an expert on the, you know, up to the minute on legislation, but they have, things haven't really changed because in a credit card world for a while. So is the credit card industry something that's well represented in terms of lobbyists in Washington? I mean, yeah, I assume so. Yes, right. right. I think it's one of the largest in, um, mm-hmm. industries in the country. But the the big the big thing to remember is all that ugly paper that when you open your credit card offer actually falls on the floor. Sometimes they they actually package it so when you open the envelope, part of it will drop at your feet. That probably is the part you should be reading. It's almost like tissue paper, and it's really ugly. <laughs> they use fine print. They they don't make it. They don't space it attractively. I mean, they know how to do attractive hand you know mailings because the front of it's lovely. But the back or the extra sheet is just downright ugly. And so people go, bleh, and start watching television there, or something. But there's else. something about, um, you know, um, slip-ins on the envelope that look like that, that you, you, you're glad that they're on the floor and you can step That's on right. it. That's right. Because you know there's trouble oh, you, well, <laughs> in, yeah. in the writing. I want to ask you about late fees. I think that's one of the more egregious um, practices. Well, it isn't that... People get what they deserve if they don't pay their bills on time, in my opinion. On the other hand, they can they can find you if your payment arrives there on the day it's due if it doesn't get there before a certain hour. So that if you are if your credit card is due, that if you some credit cards will say this is due by 5 p.m. or 3 p.m. or noon on such and so day, and you don't know if you write a paper check and mail it, you don't know when it's going to be delivered. Even if you have your thing set up to automatically pay, 
they will move the date ahead one day. So if you have it automatically set up to pay on the 20th, about three months later, suddenly it's due on the 19th or the 18th. And so they, then you'll be late um, because of that. So you have to really be on your toes and watching. Um, I think people ought to get in the habit of paying their credit card bills almost as soon as they get them, to, if they have the money, to avoid this kind of a trap. Mary, so as a student, you know, I have a, I have a debit card. I haven't yet gone down that credit card road. Is it absolutely necessary in today's society, especially for younger people, to have a credit card at all? Well, I have an unpopular answer to that, and that is yes. Okay. I think you need to have one, particularly if you're going to start going out on job interviews, starting to travel, starting to reserve, you know, lots of hotel rooms and airline tickets and things where you need, you need credit cards. Uh, and you also need to know how to do it. It's almost like, should you ever take a drink of alcohol? We can have a discussion on that sometime. <laughs> or should you learn how to handle it? Uh, and uh, what I like to say to the students is, even though you have a credit card, you don't have to use it all the time. And that's where the problem is. You don't want to charge a pizza on a credit card because then you're, getting, you're taking out a long-term loan for a pizza. You want to save your credit card for the big ticket items, for the emergencies. Even leave it, leave it in your room. Um, we, the famous story of the lady who put hers in a block of ice uh, in her <laughs> freezer so that she really had to decide if she was going to use her credit card. And then use your debit card, which would mean you'd have to have money in your account to cover what you were buying, things like pieces and shoes and small things. I, w- I wanted to test whether I'd save money if I didn't use my credit card for a month. And I can't tell you how inconvenient it was. When you went to a gas station, mm-hmm. you had to go in and pay cash. And because I never carried $50 with me, I'd have to pay, you know, get well, $32 worth and then go back. Well, people can use ATM cards at gas stations right. now. We've, we've, we've made a step ahead. We've well, I didn't, I didn't want to use cards at all. Oh, I see. You I were mean, trying I to use cash. Oh, I was, no, just, trying no, to, I was no. just trying to use cash. No, and it was, and I'd get to no. the market no. and I'd have to leave yeah. because I didn't have enough money. Anyway, no. Laura. So I had a question for you, Mary. Um, after spending a few years in college, um, I've kind of heard a lot of stories about people just being subject to a lot of these credit card mishaps. Um, some of the worst being like, I had a friend, um, before he learned how to use a credit card, racked up at least like $2,600 in debt because he didn't know he needed to pay for his credit card. Yes. That obviously being, you know, on the extreme sense, but I feel like a lot of these kind of things where people are screwing up their, their credit score is due to the fact that they just really don't know how to use things when they first come into college. It's their first interaction. So with the exception of taking your class, um, <laughs> what can... This is a wonderful idea. Um, what other resources are out there for students to like, learn how to use credit cards? There, there, are lots of, there are lots of resources out there, and most banks uh, who issue credit cards have good information. And some of the major ones even have information they're trying to target, mostly the high school students. I admit they're little, you know, immature for college students. But they'll have information about it. it. I don't think it's that there isn't information. It's that it's not a fascinating subject to someone who's 18. You know, what's your, what's your, uh, how is your interest rate going to be calculated? You know, that's because they're not paying for it, right? Well, sometimes they are, but it's too mom-ish, you know. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. I'm supposed to pay it on time. Yeah, get, stop talking about it, blah, blah, blah. You know, they don't want to hear about it. And, and it's, it's boring and tedious stuff to read through those papers. But when you get to the paragraph that says, and you'll be charged X dollars if this isn't, then you, you might, your interest might, you know, be livened a little bit. Because you don't know, I, I don't think that all consumers understand what the interest is going to be charged on. Yes. For example, if you have a $39 late fee 
because you've been two days late paying your $10 remaining balance, you are going to have to pay interest then on that $39. It it's becomes part of what you owe. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And they, they calculate an average balance usually. That's the usual way to do it. On your card for over the month, and then you have an interest rate. Now, this uh, the interest rate save is 10%. What they actually do is take... Um, a day, find a daily interest rate by dividing 10% by 365. And you get a daily rate, and you take that times how much your average rate is, and that's how they calculate the interest. Oh, oh my gosh. And it's, um, you, then you start owe interest on your interest if you don't pay enough to cover the interest. And, you know, the debt can really grow. Uh, you are listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Our guest is Mary Morrison, a financial aid officer at Stanford University, as well as a teacher of a popular finance uh, financial literacy course. And at the table with me is Stanford student Lauren, along with... Laura, I have so many L's here, Laura and Lauren, and the new mother to the panel, Susan Moskowitz. Mary, I want to ask you, which credit card company do you think makes the most effort to be, quote, honest? Oh, I don't. I, I would dare. I have no idea. You have no idea. Have you seen? Have you? Are there variances in how they treat their? Well, company? there's certain ones that that have no, have reputations. I don't know if they're deserved or they just get more publicity. Um, I don't think think it's a particular bank and I wouldn't dare go on the radio and say because because all of them you can get in the same trouble I really mean this the same trouble with any credit card I really put the although these people are tricky unless you're not a bright person you ought to be able to at least stay up with them you know what I mean you ought to at least be paying attention enough not so before I um, entered college um, I remember seeing this like you know, Dateline, something or other, where they were going on about credit card debt, and they mentioned something about how the more credit cards you have, the worse your credit score is. Like, um, but I don't really know much about that. Could you explain a little bit? Um, credit score is a very interesting subject because it doesn't have anything to do with your income. It's how much of your debt um, possibility you have that you've taken advantage of. So that if you have two credit cards that have total balance of twenty five thousand uh, limit, let's say, and you've charged twenty four thousand, you have a terrible credit score, even if you're Bill Gates, okay? Because you've used up your credit, you're using all your credit that's available to you. So if you have a bunch of credit cards and supposedly your credit limit, your total of them would be higher, so that your credit score would be better if you had the same debt. Let's say if you had five cards and they totaled fifty thousand and you owe twenty four, you'd look better to, to them. The other thing, but but we get more points for paying on time than you do with the one I just talked about. The real question is, do you pay your bills every month on time? Now, we have an email question for you, Mary. What do you think about department store type credit cards? They almost always have a higher rate uh, than uh, bank cards. They will almost always be 18% in California, at least. They do have an advantage, though. For example, I was at Macy's uh, yesterday, and they said, well, if you pay with your Macy's card, you'll get another 10% off. Right. And what's 10% of your $100 purchase is $10. And what's the interest, 18% interest <laughs> on your credit, Macy's credit card? These people are not dumb. True. They, make, true. they make their money off their credit card almost as much or maybe more, I don't know if about Macy's in particular, than they do off selling their, their items. They get the interest on their credit cards is their real source of income. Okay, Susan? As one of the mothers on the panel, I just want to jump in because I've had experience the other day. They were offering that at the Gap and at uh, 
oh, another store. And so I took out the credit card to get my discount on my daughter's clothes, and I'll just pay it off right away. So I don't plan to have right. and any every, interest. Everybody intends that. Okay, everybody says, I can handle credit cards, and I'll always have enough money. Life will never present me with a month when I won't be able to pay my credit cards. And I say to them, aha, my water <coughs> heater broke, you know, a few days ago. My the front end of my car had to be repaired. This is all the same month, right? Yeah, I know. Okay, <laughs> and, and life will happen to you. Yeah. You know, you have to get on an airplane suddenly for an illness in your family. Life will not let you go through all every month with, and being able to pay off. Mary, you have um, 30 seconds to give us uh, some final advice on a, avoiding these credit card traps. Well, as I've already said, be sure you read the... Everything they send you. Read the you. fine print. Well, they send you a letter and say important information about your credit card, and you'll just throw it away. The important information might be we're, we're raising your interest rate from 8% to 16 and <laughs> you don't even know it because you didn't even open the envelope. So read the credit card, read everything that the credit card company even sends you. Even as dull as it looks. And pay promptly. On time. Pay on time. Good. Well, thanks for answering our questions. We've learned a lot after just a few minutes. Our guest, Mary Morrison, financial aid officer at Stanford for more than eight years. A total of, what, 1,600 Stanford students have taken Mary's financial literacy course. After the break, Mary will be joining our panel as one of our mothers. Coming up, we're going to continue our conversation on money matters, taking a look, among other things, debt, the difficulties of putting together a budget, and the horrors of trying to live within it. I'm Susan Morris. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? We'll be right back. Coming to you live from the studios of KZSU at Stanford University, this is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm your host, Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. Our topic is money. Most people say money is not the most important thing in their lives, but it sure ranks high on the list. That's because it affects us in so many ways, what we can do, how we live, how we look. The list is endless. Here with me in the studio to talk about Money Matters are our two mothers, Susan Phillips Moskowitz and Mary Morrison. Hello. Hello. Hi, Mary. Nice to see you as the mother now. And our Stanford students, Laura and Lauren. Hi, Susan. A lot of people think that Stanford students don't have any money worries. <laughs> they say it's a school for rich kids. Why in God's name do I care what Stanford students have to say? What do you have to say to that? Well, no, I think if you look at the numbers, that's simply not the case. I think uh, the numbers more than 70% of Stanford students, and Mary, correct me if I'm wrong, right. are on financial aid in uh, some form. And, you know, so I certainly think, you know, when you're taking out, you know, that, that kind of assistance, you know, I mean, th- that presents a whole new uh, series of problems right there. Can I ask? Potential problems, I should say. Laura and Lauren, can I ask you if, if either of you is going to gra- graduate with a debt? Oh, definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gosh, what if, how much do you worry about not getting a job afterwards that it would allow you to comfortably live and pay off the debt? Um, you know, I, I worry about that to a certain extent, but it's sort of something I'm I'm putting off worrying about because there's really nothing I can do about it right you're ju- now. You're a junior. Other, other than, you know, get, get good grades. Uh, apply for those internships, that kind of thing. And and Laura, as a student, do you worry? In a, as a senior, do you worry? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do. Um, I have a little bit of an advantage in that I'm a computer science major, and so afterwards, it's pretty much like you have those skills that they you know are marketable, and you can get a job that you know has a good um, you know base income. But um, definitely, like a lot of my friends who are in those kind of fuzzier majors and such, definitely worry about you know getting a job and getting a job that pays. You know, that's very interesting, though, because computer science a very popular major and certainly a high income producing one afterwards 
has has run into some troubles over you know the industry has changed and so that's not uncommon I would imagine I can't contain myself can I say something about student debt uh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, yes. I, let me finish making oh, oh, my point. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right about um, about majoring in or going into an area that suddenly loses its popularity. Flexibility, I think, is a key. But back to debt. Yes. The average undergraduate in the United States who has debt not we're not factoring in the rich kids who didn't have to borrow, but of those who have debt, the average that un- when you graduated as an undergraduate is about twenty thousand dollars. Oh, that's now, a whole lot of money. Well, the question is, what what's the average debt of the average twenty one year old who isn't in college? And uh, that's you know that it makes for a very good comparison. You think that the kids who are twenty one years old and not in college have no debt? Dream on. They have car payments. They have credit card payments. They the debt level is not greater for college students than for people who their own age who are not in college. And, and pe- now, we start talking about major l- loans for law school and so on. Those are usually the ones that are in, in the papers. She had $200,000 in debt. But the average undergraduate has nothing like They have less than a car loan in most cases. Okay. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? And I am here with my panel talking about money matters. All right. Well, given that, that people have these horrible debts, even adults, um, how do you, I, I would think getting a good budget would be the way to deal with that. Of course, I hate budgets. I, I keep a running tally in my brain and sometimes I forget to add things. But Susan, you started your own business, so you've had you had to really deal with budgets. As, as one of the panel members and an entrepreneur, I did start my own business, and it was very difficult sticking with the budget because I had a food product and costs went up every month, and actually that's why I'm no longer in that business because my food product became more expensive than what people were willing to pay at the time. Do you think, looking back, there was any way to project that, that you could have protected yourself more and still kept your product reasonably priced? Yes, I do. Had I been uh, the first to be on the Internet with a consumer website, I would have been able to keep it going. And perhaps someday I'll restart it again. But um, when I was doing this, it was just when the Internet was starting, so I didn't have a, a website at the time. And none of the venture capitalists wanted to fund food. What was the hardest part of making a budget? I can tell. Lauren, what's the hardest part? Uh, I'll be honest with you, Susan. I don't have a budget. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Laura, do you? Well, for me, the hardest part about a budget is that um, while I'm in college, um, I see all these amazing opportunities. Um, I spent last fall abroad in China, and I had all these opportunities in front of me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm never going to be here again. I might as well pay for that train ticket to Shanghai, or I might, I'm never going to have clothes this cheap again. I might as well pay for it. And so while in my mind, I still had an idea of how much I wanted to spend, but then I was like, but this is a chance of a lifetime. And you get a lot of those experiences in college. Mary, <laughs> does um, that sound familiar? <laughs> when I asked the students in the class I teach, you talked about um, to, to do a very detailed plan for their how they're going to spend their paychecks. And some of the people will put down four categories, food, rent, you know, a car, and insurance. And it's the details. I mean, to think that you actually have to go out and buy things like extension cords and towels and you have to pay to get your shoes fixed. And 
that's where people fall down. They, have, they haven't thought of all the things you really have to pay for when you're living on your own. They'd probably you never know. leave home. Well, <laughs> we, we do have that phenomenon going on in our culture, yes. You know, who's going to cover this? Oh, my gosh, I, I'm going to make a meal. I have no pens or <laughs> to cook it in. I mean, they, um, as a mother on the panel, I can relate to what Lauren's saying. I'm from the mother's side, and that is, yes, I had a budget, but uh, when I came to buying certain things for my children and the children no longer had grandparents alive, I wavered between being the grandmother and the mother. And the grandmother side of me said, oh, there's no grandma around, so I'm going to buy that extra little item for my child. Over the budget. So. Over the budget. I did that frequently. I probably did it too much. <laughs> Are we saying that budgets are just something that we don't pay much attention to when push come, when we see that thing we want? I think that well, yes, of Human course. Nature. We're all self self indulgent. Well, I know of people, and I'm sure everyone at the table knows at least one person like this that they really seem to be saving. You know, they're on the track and they don't buy stuff, they don't waste money. Then there's always the gal who says, "Oh, I'll treat." Susan, you said you were familiar with that. I'm familiar. My father was one of those people who said, I'll treat. And uh, he treated frequently, but he enjoyed his life, and we all enjoyed being with him. And somehow, you know, when he passed away, it, uh, relatively, I was only 30 when he died, we all seemed to do okay, and he did leave enough for my mother. So in the end, uh-oh, we sound like we're advocating going over the budget. Well, listen, we have an email here, um, and this concerns... Um, owing a lot of money. I think it's a little late for her to have a budget. I am a junior in college and I'm heavily in debt. I owe about $10,000 on my credit card and I'm scared to tell my parents. They've, they have their own money problems and big medical bills. Any suggestions? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Pay it. They start paying. No, what, yeah, get, get a job. I think yeah, you, know, you need that source yeah. of income. But what you, what people who have credit card debt need to do is to send in not the minimum payment, but just a little bit more, because you probably will end up paying as much against the real debt um, just by adding fifty dollars or a hundred dollars to your payment if you have it around or seventy five, whatever you've got. You'll bring your debt down much much faster than if you that minimum is meant to last you. 20 years. You'll, it'll take you 20 oh, years to pay it okay. okay. So that if you if your bill is $100, you can spend in even $120. Mm-hmm. Then you've chopped a big chunk away from the next month, and you're gonna the whole thing is going to be shorter in time frame. Well, I want to shift our conversation and using this email as a way to get there, talking about money and family. This young woman asks if if we think she should tell. Well, she doesn't ask, but do you think she should tell her parents that she's way in over her head? Do you see this as being a viable thing? Would you tell your parents? Well, um, Laura? actually, um, when I was in China, I managed to rack up about $1,600 in credit card debt. Um, just kind of didn't really realize what was happening with the conversion rate, et cetera. Um, <laughs> and I didn't tell my parents because I knew what they would say. They, I mean, my, my dad is a stickler when it comes to budgets. He's been, you know, always... He just yells at my mother whenever she spends anything over a hundred dollars on her credit card. What did you do? Card. So you paid it off. So yeah, I um, ended up, you know, paying the minimum for. Um, you know, a couple of months, and then I got a summer job that I knew had to pay for that as well as my next year. You know, that's an interesting situation. $1,600 is a lot of money, but let's say you're really over your head. Um, God, if my daughter came and told me that she was, I don't know what, I'd say, 
get get a couple of jobs, I guess. <laughs> Mary, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, if the parents are in a different financial state, I know that's not the case in, in this uh, this girl's case, but you know, if, if they have ten thousand dollars that they can you know afford to to loan to their daughter, in effect, without interest. I don't know if that would be a better situation than owing all this interest to the credit card. Yeah, it depends on the family dynamic. Right. Gonna, every time they see her, they're going to say, "You owe us nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, some families will browbeat the poor young person to, you know, as if they'd never done it themselves. Ha right. ha ha. You know, I don't believe that either. But so it depends on the situ- how they treat you. Just period. Uh, whether that's a good idea or not. But, of course, it economically would make a lot of sense yeah. because you're not paying the, the uh, late fees. So it, turn, it would end up being you know, $15,000 you would pay exactly. on 10000 of debt. I think exactly. it's always good, though, for family members to charge interest. Sorry, but... <laughs> At a lower interest rate, maybe. Low, than maybe at a yes. lower interest well, try rate. To co- try to collect it. That's uh, <laughs> my, my experience. You could get a promissory note. You are listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Our topic, Money Matters, and our panel, Lauren, Laura, Susan Moskowitz, a new mother to the panel, and Mary Morrison. Well, um, I want to switch and talk about, uh, we have a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask if anyone has a funny story about money. Money is, for many people, not a funny topic, but there might be, you know, a debt that you yes Susan well I have a funny story but it's not regarding debt when I was in summer school at the University of Wisconsin in the days of pay telephones pay phones <laughs> I was calling home from the pay phone and all of a sudden all these quarters just came out of the machine just like a slot machine and here I was with all this money and I was so honest that <laughs> I'm still honest anyway so I called the operator and said you know all these quarters came out of the machine she said well just put them back in and so I stood there there and I put all these quarters back into that phone. Oh, so I, that's a pretty funny story, you know. This was ages you, ago. Yes, Laura, uh, would you have put the coins, the coins back? Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this actually reminded me of a story that um, I think deals well with you know mothers trying to teach their children um, lessons about money. So my mother thought that she'd have the bright idea of showing me at age five that gambling was a bad idea. So we're on a road trip through Nevada, and we go to a slot machine, and she's like, Laura, I want you to try something. Um, I want you to put this in and see what happens. So I go up to the slot machine, and I put a nickel in, and then $10 in nickels just, like, comes pouring out. And, like, I'm just so excited. I'm just ecstatic. I'm just screaming around in the gas station, and um, the lesson was not taught. <laughs> oh. I was in Amsterdam this summer um, trying to buy breakfast at the airport. Uh, and so I, I go up to the exchange people, and, you know, I had, I think, $20. So I give them the $20. I'm like, can I have euro? And they're like, well, it's gonna it's gonna cost you ten dollars in fees plus another, you know, five dollars in percentage of the transfer. And so you're gonna get five dollars worth of euros from your twenty dollar bill. You probably just want to pay an American. They take American. I was like, okay, I'll do that. But it's, it's crazy how that conversion can really, you know, cut ten, fifteen dollars off, you know, off your money. It can really mess you up. Yes. I have a, sort of a funny story about a student with a credit card. Uh, I asked the student if he had any credit card debt, and he said. Yes, I guess so. Uh, I think I have American Express debt. And I said, you don't know? And he said, well, they just keep, they send me letters, but I never open them. Because all they want is money, and I don't have any. So why bother opening the mail? This was the way he was dealing with his with his credit card debt. Makes sense to me. <laughs> Susan, one last, time for one last um, story. You got well, one? for the students that are in college doing their junior abroad with the credit cards, the credit card companies now add an additional 3% when That's you right. are out of the domestic United States. That's so right. you, you're paying additional money right. to That's consider. Right. Oh, wow. 
watch your back with credit card companies. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, a look at holiday gifts, what works, what doesn't, and why. This is Susan Morris. We will be right back. This is What Would Your Mother Say? Hi, I'm your host, Susan Morris. Welcome to the show. With Hanukkah underway and Christmas just around the corner, our topic is holiday gifts. And isn't that appropriate? I guess Hanukkah, they have eight days of giving gifts. I think that's great. I remember being very jealous when I was a kid that I didn't get eight days of presents. But what works with a present and what doesn't? Have you ever bought something for someone and wondered afterwards, was it the right choice? Did I spend enough money? Will the person like it? Does it give the right message? Joining the conversation is today's panel, students Lauren and Laura, and mothers Mary Morrison and Susan Moskowitz. Does everyone agree that though they have those questions after they buy a present? Or, or anyone oh, yes. at the table sort of, oh, well, I, I bought the present, done the, done the deed. Because yeah, it's that infamous guessing game, you know. I mean, you have to spend comparable amounts of money to what the other person is going to spend on you, and it's really hard to initiate that conversation if you do it at all. So it, it's a very, you know, it's a tedious guess. Well, here's the first question: Is how indicative are presents of someone's feelings towards you? And this is if someone has you haven't discussed, you're going to exchange <laughs> gifts, and and they give you a ten dollar gift, and you've just spent sixty. What what happens then? Yeah, no, it's, it's social awkwardness right there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you can play it off, you know, you can try to, you know, downplay it by saying, you know, it's a very heartfelt gift. Uh, <laughs> I put a lot of thought into this gift. Try to make up that $50 in, you know, outward emotion. Can you say, oh, my bigger gift is coming? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> That's, a That's also idea. good when someone gives you a gift and you have absolutely nothing for them and you say, oh, it's in my apartment. I'll, yeah. I'll give it to you tomorrow. And then yeah. you run out frantically the next day. What a wonderful idea. It's saying it's on its way. Yes, yes. Thinking on my feet like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can do it here, but I'm not sure that I would ever pull it off. That I could pull it off. Do you think a present or how much a present costs is indicative of how someone feels about the other person? Laura? Not necessarily. I think that it's more of the thought, I think. Um, I received um, a couple of gifts that, like, well, um, just didn't seem like a person put a lot of thought into it. Like, it just wasn't something that I would enjoy. But, I mean, granted, the person spent a lot of money on it, but it was just like, I mean... What did you... What? How did that impact the relationship? Well, so it was my boyfriend at the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how much longer did the relationship last? Um, a little bit too long, but um, <laughs> that for other reasons. But, I mean, it definitely, you know, puts question in your mind. Like, is this person the right person for me? Because I would imagine that in, in gift-giving, you try to think of the other person. And, um, and I don't think it necessarily matters how much money is spent, but more of the thought behind it. Mm-hmm. That, that something special could be very, very small. Well, listen, I have a, a bunch of, uh, I have a list here, and I'm going to ask you to choose. Uh, okay, what would you, what would you rather receive from a significant other? A heartfelt handmade card or an expensive and attractive piece of jewelry? Hmm, that's a toughie. It, I guess it really depends on maybe if there's some backstory with the jewelry. Like, um, there's a friend of mine who got a, a watch from her boyfriend, and like they had kind of you know gone shopping together, and she you know pointed it out, and he was like, oh well, that's nice. And then had gone back later and got it for her, and I think that's very thoughtful. And granted, you get a really nice piece of jewelry out of it. Um, but I mean, if it's just something random, I would much prefer the card. 
Speaking as a mother, I take the jewelry every time. <laughs> Speaking as a mother, I agree with Mary. <laughs> okay, now, separate question. I'm going to veer off of my list of would you choose this or that and ask, does an expensive gift that you've accepted obligate you in some way? And you can take an expensive gift from a young man um, or uh, from a girlfriend I mean, you know, you maybe weren't planning to include her in a Christmas party, but now you better because of this expensive gift that you've been given. Susan, what's your experience been with that? Gee, I can't. I can't it, think it doesn't, of an example. It doesn't for relate. That. Yeah. No. Well, I think I think accepting an expensive gift because it's difficult to say no. I'm not going to take it, but I think it does set up some kind of an obligation. Well, it does put you in an awkward spot, almost as if you both got each other gifts, and one was very expensive and one was cheap. I mean, you're, you're changing the game from a wonderful gift to nothing, <laughs> from your side, mm-hmm. and that makes it even more awkward. Well, here's a way of of dealing with someone spending too much money on a present for you, or a thank you gift, or something. You say. This is really too much. You didn't. I mean, you're just really putting the person in their place, saying, "Why did you do this? This was unnecessary." Rather than feeling embarrassed by it, you put the onus back on them of what this doesn't quite make sense. Well, it depends on how rich they are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it wasn't a lot for them. You know, maybe maybe they're regifting something they got from somebody else. <laughs> oh, I lo- love the regift. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll ask about that. I want to go back uh-huh. to asking um, here from my list. Okay, Lauren, um, what would you prefer to get? A heartfelt handmade box with an assortment of sentimental objects that relate to the time you spent with this person. Photos, photos, souvenirs, etc. Or an expensive and attractive watch. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, I mean, do you just want me to come out right yes. out yeah. and ask? Okay, so I'd probably rather have. Uh, well, I'd probably rather have both. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, I- I'm going to go ahead and go with the uh, the box. I mean, for for several reasons. A, I don't wear watches. Uh, B, you know, it, it shows that that person has, you know, is invested enough in that relationship that they've gone through all this time. You take an expensive watch over a bunch of crap. <laughs> I mean, but it's not, Susan, it's not a bunch of crap, though. You know, I mean, I mean Sorry. To, to get this sort of piece of jewelry that I'm not going to wear, as opposed to knowing that this person I'm in a relationship with is, you know, really into that relationship. I guess I mean, a watch is a bad example. My husband, for example, wears, you know, one of these plastic, well, not, you know, Timex or something. So that's, for a young man today, offering them a watch isn't a good... I, I mean, I'm not saying that watches right. are bad. I probably will wear a watch sometime in the future when I uh, right. when I get a job. <laughs> so, Lauren, I have a question for you. Right. Is there a point in a relationship where something like that would be too much? Oh, you mean like if you, okay, so if you know this person for like a week, and they give you like, you know, every artifact that's happened in that week, you have like all the movie tickets, all the receipts that like from like dinner and stuff. And creepy, like, oh my right? God. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy. Right, you, can, you, you can go creepy very, very easily. They're like, all right, here's your toenail clippings. <laughs> and, and you're like, whoa, just give me the watch. <laughs> that's right. I, I'm done. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really gosh. creepy. Oh, well, I'm, all right. Uh, Laura, here's a man. Yeah, have sure. you ever known anybody who's given somebody a box full of sentimental items? Do people really do that? Well, grandmothers might. Oh, grandmothers. Oh, not mine. Uh, In their will. In their will, yeah. No, I can see grandmothers or, or mother doing something like that and, and then offering maybe the grandfather's watch. I mean, you have a choice. You know, yes. I'm going to give you these things or 
if you don't want the watch, I'll give it to your brother or whatever. I mean, you have a... Well, if it, if it was a grandfather's watch, it's a whole different story. Oh, yeah, that, that's <laughs> oh, a different thing. That's okay. Different, yeah. Okay. Well, now, all right, Laura, one, one last question about this. What would be your reaction to the idea of a guy giving lingerie as a gift? Is this sleazy or is this cute? A turn-on or a turn-off? It depends if it's the only gift. Because it's like, well, is it more of a gift for yourself or is it a gift for me? Like, who are you thinking about here? (laughs) And while the idea of it might be kind of appealing, you'd be like, oh, you know, I have a couple nights of fun. This could be exciting. Um, But if it only boils down to that, then it makes me kind of wonder, is there anything more to the relationship than just the sex? Well, that's a good question. And I found fancy underwear to be uncomfortable in the main, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not something you want to wear for extended periods of time, and that wasn't what it was designed for. I don't for, think so that the guy would attend it for. No, that's right. <laughs> so it, it isn't a gift for you, because it, it won't last very long. Oh. You are listening to What Would Your Mother Say? Coming to you live from KZSU at Stanford, and our topic is holiday gifts, and the panel is Lauren, Laura, and Susan Moskowitz and Mary Morrison. You might notice that I say the mother's last names, but I don't give the kids. I'm hoping that the kids will say something very personal and you wouldn't want anyone to know, right? Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Other than my mother, of course. Yes, yes. We have... Hi, Lauren's mother. We happen to know that she listens. All right. Well, Mom, Susan, I'd like to ask, what romantic gift-giving advice would you give to the students? And what was your experience? Now, you've been married a long time. I have been married a long time. I've been married 34 years. And um, I think you really need to ask your girlfriend or boyfriend, know different kinds of things that they would like so that you have a choice and you know that one of them, of the three, all three could make them happy. And then you pick out one because my husband once picked out some jewelry for me and thought this was that I would absolutely love it, and I do love jewelry, but I opened up the box and I didn't like what he picked out, and he was just so sad and hurt because he had spent so much time on this. But, you know, he didn't ask. We didn't go looking in advance, and he just sort of picked that out. So you need to really know the choices of what the other person likes. Do you see that being an issue, Lauren? Do you you think that the element of surprise is worth taking that risk because I mean I know it'd be nice to really get something that someone likes but it's also nice to sort of surprise someone with this spontaneous gift that you know that you assume they would really like showing that you know them well I guess as a mother and a wife I mean surprise is wonderful but then I maybe maybe I should have acted better and acted surprised and said, "Oh, I love it, darling." <laughs> Even though I didn't really, I just sort what of put it away on the shelf and yeah. tomorrow, <laughs> so I can return it. You know, so I think you're right. Surprise is wonderful, and I shouldn't have been quite as honest. <laughs> Mary, do you have any? What would you think is a romantic gift? Well, I was married um, almost thirty years before my husband died, and the gift I remember most he gave me was on our third wedding anniversary, we were very poor, and he bought me three roses. And I remember it to this day. It was a wonderful thing. It was something that we didn't need. You know, it was, you know, we were watching every penny. On the other hand, it wasn't something I went, you spent money on this, and uh, we're broke, and blah, blah, blah. And it was, and he knew it was our third anniversary because he got the number right. It was three. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it, I was remember he, that. Was he as good at 30 years at remembering? Yes. He oh, never that's, forgot birthday. Oh, that's, that's right. wonderful. Well, 
we have a couple of minutes left. I'm going to ask you about feeling obligated to wear or eat or pretend to enjoy gifts that you don't like when they're from people you care about. And you just addressed this about the jewelry. So you, I, I've had another example. It's Susan and uh, wife and mother. Um, my husband just loved the satin pantsuit that he had ordered for me and never really fit right. It didn't wasn't comfortable to wear, like Mary was saying about the sexy <laughs> underwear, but he loved it. And so I wore it for a while to make him happy, but finally I had to just say, it's not comfortable to wear, dear. You know, I love the thought of it, but I just can't wear it anymore. So what's a feeling when someone doesn't wear it or use a gift that you gave them? Or they re-gift it almost immediately within eyeshot. <laughs> well, proper re-gifters are very, very discreet. <laughs> and so the person would never know, I guess, in theory, if you re-gift it. If you run in a small circle, though, then it's, <laughs> a, uh, uh, it's a big campus. <laughs> yes, it is certainly a big campus. So what, how would you feel uh, about someone? Uh, I mean, how, would you feel obligated to wear something or to pretend that you liked it? Well, as far as like eating stuff, because I'm, you know, people know that I like food, and you know, sometimes they give me food, and but sometimes you just you, you can't really force yourself to eat something, you know, and so oftentimes I'll just kind of throw it away or give it oh. to someone else and just lie about being just like, wow, that was fantastic, thank you so much. But then you run the risk also of them giving it to you again, but you know you just have to kind of <laughs> manage that so much that first time. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that that would be. Uh, so you don't think being honest. I, no one here at the table is is saying, don't, you know, I don't like it. I do have a story of someone who was a house guest and, and gave a book, a very expensive um, book to her, to the woman whose house where she was staying. And, and the woman sent back the book and said, um, either she didn't have, maybe it was a cookbook or something. She said, I don't have any need for this, so why don't you give it to someone else? And I think that's rude. I, I really think yeah, that's that definitely. She rude. could have given it to you know a book drive or the right. library or something. She didn't have to do that. Yeah. I have a friend who's married to a man who has never kept any gifts she's bought him, and they're twenty five or thirty years of marriage. Mm. He returns everything. Oh. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm would, surprised you're still buying things for well, him. Well, uh, yes, and he wouldn't <laughs> be married to me. I'll tell you that. Much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, never. Nothing she buys pleases him. It's just unbelievable. Oh, oh, I can see. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're making faces at each other radio audience. Yes, yes, returning things is a no-no. Well, or letting the other person know. No, and every time doing it, every single time, I mean, come well, on. Yeah, I, I can see. Well, all right, I... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's difficult. You could have a closet full of gifts from a loved one or your kid. Well, I think with kids it's different. Wouldn't you agree, Susan? I mean, with kids you just like what they give you. Oh, for sure. I mean, I have treasured. Um, that's why I could never move because I have this big house and I have saved every little tchotchke that my children ever gave me or made, you know, back to nursery school. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I love sub- all that. That's a different subject entirely. Yeah. I mean, that macaroni necklace wasn't the perfect jewelry. <laughs> that's for. exactly uh, right, and thought, I have right. it up there in my in my stash. Oh yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a short break now. After we come back, a look at our listeners' emails this week. They're about relationships, relationships, and relationships. I'm Susan Morris. You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? We will be right back. 
During this segment of the show, we take a look at this week's emails from our listeners. And here with me to do that is today's panel, Lauren and Laura and mothers Mary Morrison and Susan Moskowitz. Not surprisingly, we have a few emails about relationships and in particular, for this first email, it's about a family relationship. My mom won't let me talk to my dad without her. Whenever I call home, if he answers, she pesters him until he gives me the phone. He gives the phone to her, and I hardly have a chance to say two words to my dad. Or else my mom just picks up a second phone and participates in the whole conversation. I love talking to both of them, but sometimes there are things that I want to talk to my dad about in private, and I don't know how to tell my mom this without offending her or giving, getting my dad in trouble. Is it possible to address this diplomatically? What does the panel think about this? this um, I imagine this happens more frequently than people talk about. I think so. I think, yes, you'll find one person able to, you know, you're more simpatico, whatever the right word is, with one parent than the other. I Yes, I think so. And different times in your life, I think, as you're growing up, one parent is, is doing more for you than than the other one at the moment, at the time. Yes. What do you, do you think that this can be handled diplomatically? I don't know about diplomatically, but I think, you know, in an age of cell phones, dad has a different cell phone number. You call him when he's not with the mother. I mean, that's obviously a situation. He gets his own email address. I mean, you sort of have that time where you know he's going to be at work or at, on lunch break or whatever where you can talk to him. That's, I mean, that's sort of a way of avoiding the problem, I guess, but right. still it's a solution. I was thinking about, you know, she does must take a shower or go shopping yeah. or something. <laughs> you know, you could... You could uh, it's hard you could, to, uh, for, the, for someone not in the house, though, to time that call. Let's, let's take away the cell phone and say that there isn't one and look more closely at this situation being hard to avoid. Laura, do you have an idea? Has anything? Well, I, I just think that, you know, what it, the risk that's being run here is hurting the mom's feelings, I think, above telling her, like, you know, hey, I just want to talk to dad. And I think that if you're just upfront about that, you know, and just, you know, kind of validate the person's feelings and just be like, look, you know, I love you and I love talking to you, but, you know, there's some times when, you know, I would prefer to talk to just dad and it's not because of you or anything. It's just, I don't know. It, I don't know if that's, you're, you're making faces at me and I guess those aren't the right well, words. I think but. It, well, I, I think there could be, the mother it could really freak out about that. I don't know. Well, they um, always can freak out, but you can't control your mother freaking out. I learned that long, long ago. <laughs> Mothers will freak out on time. But I was, I was wondering about maybe when they're not on the phone with this. Maybe Dad says, you know, I have nothing to say to her. Why does she? I don't want to. You know, I'll, when she calls, I'm going to give you the phone. I mean, are you sure that he really wants to talk to her? Is my question. Oh, that's a that's a new take on this. You mean that Dad doesn't? Gosh, you know, I, I've Ugh. known tough old guys who's you know yeah how are you fine my father-in-law was a wonderful man i don't think he ever talked on the phone more than two sentences you know <laughs> hello i'll give you to mom i'm fine here it is you know I mean, he never long phone conversations just weren't his his, his yes. thing he just didn't do that i know i think women chat on the phone and i don't know that men know that verb right to chat yes. it's definitely not a, a sort of an accepted man to man communication <laughs> Yes, it's like, so what do you want? Like, you exactly. can't just talk. There has exactly. to be an objective. Exactly. That's why you're in a room full of women, right? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Get to the point. Yes. Is real. this worth my time? Exactly. I'd rather be watching football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's just draw gross stereotypes about that. They, they, they also think you have a re 
reason for calling, which is obviously not true. You know, what do you want? You know, <laughs> why don't you call? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're listening to What Would Your Mother Say? And our this is the segment where we take emails from our listeners. And we are looking at, and a lot of them, as I said, are about relationships. Here's another one. My boyfriend and I have been going back and forth about how to proceed with our relationship. Does it have a future? Are we willing to change in the way the other one wants us to? In the meantime, my parents are coming to town for the holidays, and my boyfriend has suggested that our two families get together. Bad idea. When should the families? When should families meet? Under what circumstances? How about the wedding day? Does that be? A- <laughs> you can avoid a lot if you don't meet. Oh, don't well, what do you think about this? I mean, do you think at some point the two families getting together could be premature, with the, this couple? not having resolved some maybe some major issues? Well, if they haven't had the DTR talk, that's define the relationship talk. Oh. Yeah. So as a student, that's a term we Oh, okay. Times, <laughs> Thanks. Know. I didn't Generational thing oh, there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, before that talk, you know, I mean, it might just be totally irrelevant to bring the families into the picture if you're not sure that that's the road you're going to go down. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the boyfriend, by suggesting this, is saying he's he's committed or maybe he could be immune to the, to the uh, implications of this kind of meeting? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just trying to say that you know he's willing to go down that road. I don't know. When do you, you say- look at do you look at families getting together as as being oh, pretty definitely. serious? Yeah, I mean, even oh. even one one set of, of parents meeting that person, you know, your significant other. That's mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, let alone getting both families together. That's usually like a we're getting married kind of thing. <laughs> yes, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, yes, but I mean, would you you took a girl to meet your mother? That's well, that, that's, that's a, fairly serious. It's a fairly serious. Movie. But I mean, yeah. having my mother, my father meet her mother and father is like wow. Wow. I that, mean, that, yes, we're yes. already married practically. Yes. Oh, yes. Does that scare the hell out of you? Oh yeah. <laughs> does that make you want to? I'm, I'm literally shaking for those of you listening on the radio. <laughs> no, seriously, would that make you nervous? I, I mean, getting married at this point in my life certainly not Excuse something I, I I think about you know fondly at this point. <laughs> but I mean, I can certainly see that happening and me not being nervous about it at a later point. Just not right now. You know, I'm I'm. What am I, 20? I'm 20. Yeah, right, you're 20. You don't want to get married now. Oh, my gosh. Susan? Actually, that's a, an example, you know, for in my situation, my husband took me home for Thanksgiving, and, and this, you know, his parents interpreted that as, this is serious. This is the first girl she, he has ever brought home. This is it. And I wasn't thinking about marriage yet, so I was the one that was a little scared. But it, it that's so true, even all those years ago. I don't think I was brought home to meet my future mother-in-law until I was engaged, although I, I knew her, and I'd met her, but I'd never been officially, you know, invited for dinner. So, yeah, these are pretty serious things. Funny story. My freshman year, I actually took someone home before Christmas break. Her flight didn't leave. It was one of my good friends from the dorm, not someone I was romantically involved in, though. So I took her home just because she, she had a day extra, and she wanted to see Napa. So I took her home, and everyone automatically assumed that this is sort of like a huge step in our relationship and it was very because it's so ingrained in society like you take someone home like that means you're getting very seriously romantically involved with them and you know it was not the case it's kind of awkward i i remember when i my parents met my late husband's parents for the first time i was terrified because that they would hate each other, yeah. and you know, and, and I have to admit, all four of them rose to the occasion <laughs> and were very polite to each other, and they even started talking about um, the the 1930s when they were all young, and you know, and bootlegging <laughs> and everything, and uh, <laughs> I, they were, they had a wonderful time, and I was oh, but I was so scared. 
because it, it's been, a lot was riding on it. If they, you know, came away from that, don't you join that family? Those people are blah blah blah. You know, that it could be disastrous. Yeah, it it could be. Yeah, I can I can see that. That well, it looks as though this hasn't changed with the generations, which is interesting. No, I don't think so. so it. You're as scared about meeting a parent or, <laughs> as, as uh, Mary and Susan and, and, right. and I were. Well, all right, here's, um, here's a, a question about, um, we were talking about breaks. Uh, my boyfriend and I have only been together for three months, and things have been going really, really well. But we're going to two entirely different destinations for winter break. And in fact, he's going to one of those crazy spring break-like destinations with two of his buddies. These guys are always talking about picking up girls in bars and getting laid. I'm worried about the influence they'll have on him when we're so far apart. Do you really think that absence makes the heart grow fonder, or should I prepare myself for some New Year's heartbreak when I get back? What do you think about this phenomenon how much pressure do guys put on each other to have fun over breaks well i was just gonna say you know if she's gonna have new year's heartbreak or i mean it's gonna be heartbreak eventually so you might as well have it sooner rather than later before you get more invested because if he's gonna be the kind of guy who's gonna go with his pals and hook up with someone else while like spending three weeks away you know what's gonna stop that from happening again in the future so you just might as well just, you know, end it now before it gets even more involved. Do you agree? She's also assuming he's sort of a spineless person who goes along with what's ever suggested to him. <laughs> and I don't know why you'd want to have a long-term relationship with someone who couldn't say, I'd rather not do that or whatever it was, you know. How much pressure is there on guys and even gals to, to kind of appear to be hooking up when you're all out drinking and having a good time? I mean, I'd say there's a there's a fair amount um, of pressure, especially when you're going somewhere that's like a notorious madcap. You know, I mean, <laughs> in this case, it's like he he already has a car, yet he's going car shopping again, and you know, it's kind of like what, what, there's a lot of conflict implied. Well, if you're not engaged and you're not, I well, I don't know, I don't know the extent of this relationship, but. Um, is it totally inappropriate? I mean, you've suggested, hey, if you really have somebody, why are you out looking? But three weeks is a really long time. You're on vacation. Does anybody see any justification for the guy sort of playing around? Well, it depends on how com- this is um, a mother speaking. Uh-huh. I would think that if it's a committed relationship and it's really serious, then you want to be, you remain with and honor that person. So it really depends on how serious the relationship is. As a student, is. and on this guy's side, I guess, you know, I mean, if you're not comfortable with trusting this guy at all, I mean, you're, you're at college, or he's obviously going to be around other girls, other situations, mm-hmm. regardless of whether he goes to some That's crazy right. spring break places. So, I mean, I don't think the issue is necessarily, you know, what he's doing. It's just, it's a trust issue. Okay. Right. Well, we ha- we're going to be going off the air a little bit early, so I want to give this last email before uh, we have to go. I recently invited my ex-boyfriend of three years ago to have lunch with me, and he wrote back saying that he'd like to, but he doesn't think we should out of respect for his new girlfriend. I think this is silly. He and I have been friends for a long time without any suggestion of the possibility that we might date again. But I feel like if I say so, it would seem like I'm fighting for him. Should I just keep quiet? Yes. Oh, well, this happened to my daughter, and and she went and had lunch with her old boyfriend, so... And he's still with the new girlfriend. <laughs> okay, good. Well, listen, it's time to say goodbye. Thanks for coming on, Mary Morrison and Susan Moskowitz. 
Good Thank to ha- you. Good to have you on. And students, Lauren and Laura. Thanks, Thanks so much. My momism for the week, nothing is perfect. For the record, the opinions you hear on What Would Your Mother Say don't represent those of KZSU or Stanford University. Today's show was put together with help from Susanna Montez. The engineer for tonight's show, Mark Lawrence. The producer is Sarah Buer. That's it for tonight. Thanks for joining in. And remember, call your mom. I'm Susan Morris.